Welcome to Behind the DM Screen. We are three DMs talking about our games and helping each other out. I am Jeff Greiner, and with me, as always, is Sam Dillon and Robert Aducci. Yes. Yeah, he's always here. <laughs> he's always here. I have never done a recording uh, without Robert Aducci of, yeah, right, of yeah. any show. He lives in your background. basement, right where your computer is. At the very least, he lives in my heart. There uh-huh. you go. <laughs> <laughs> You're always with me in spirit, Robert. So uh, that's good or bad. Yeah. So there's our introduction. Um, (laughs) Let's dive into into our games. And first up uh, to talk about their games is our guest, Robert Aducci. What are you playing? Uh, So I've got. I'm playing four games right now. I think. Uh, I've got. Are you running all those games? Yes. Uh, so I've got three Dark Sun games, and I've got one that is, or I've I've got a Forgotten Realms game. Although it used to be a Planescape game, and then a Forgotten Realms game, and then I mashed them together because I lost players in both. And uh, and so now they they go back and forth from the realms to Planescape and back. You know, uh, well, regularly. arguably, if you're in the realms, you're also in Planescape, but. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But they actually, you know, go go to Sigil a bunch, and okay. well, not Sigil because they're kicked out of there, but. No. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we'll talk about that one. So they've, um, gone, they've gone enough to get kicked out. That's important yes. to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the, the Planescape group, um, they got kicked out. Yeah. So that was sort of how I mashed the two groups together is, you know, I said the Planescape group has to leave um, because the, they knew the Lady of Pain were, was going to be after them because of something they were doing. Like she wasn't quite after them yet. But they knew she was going to be, so they kicked themselves so, out. Really, no, say, so they could go back, but there would be consequences. Yes, 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 exactly. So I am, um, I am playing or, or running a uh, the, like the long term campaign is basically the uh, the journey to bring back Aoscar. So Aoscar is a uh, was the god of portals, and mm-hmm. in Planescape, the Lady of Pen- pain uh killed him supposedly and kind of rent his uh his church in sigil in two and uh you know he's supposedly dead like floating in the astral sea somewhere there is uh there's an adventure in second edition called what is it for duty and deity i think it is um it's not the greatest adventure but it talks about joaquin getting um you know i guess during the time of troubles he was turned into a mortal. The mortal gets captured by Grazit, and the players have to go get her. So I just kind of changed some things, and instead of Joaquin, it's Aoscar. So you know, Aos- I, I said that Aoscar was trying to you know get out of uh, Sigil, and in order to do that, he had to like give up his divinity and become a person. And so, uh, and then they, uh, for whatever reason, they were ha- they have to get across uh, Asgarat which is in the abyss. Uh, and that's what Grazit, uh, the realm that Grazit uh, rules. And so Grazit captured him and um, has kind of had them for however long that's been. And so uh, the characters have been sort of brought into that um, little by little. Uh, and then now that those characters, the Planescape characters are with the Forgotten Realms characters, they kind of brought them into it as well. How, how, did, that, how did that merger happen? 
how how narratively do you make sense of the Planescape players or characters and the the Forgotten Realms characters suddenly becoming a group together? So they, um, the the Forgotten Realms players started with uh, Dragon of Icefire Peak and then started going into those uh, the Leylon adventures. The, you know, the ones that were immediately after Dragon of Ice Rare. Yeah, yeah, the ones that and, are just on D&D Beyond. Yeah, yeah. And so they're kind of like, you know, making a home for themselves in Leylon, and they got a um, they got a keep that's kind of up in the mountains there, in the Sword Mountains. And so they've been going up there to kind of clean things out here and there. And they met somebody that was, they didn't know at the time, but um, basically a, uh, what are they called? Horizon Walker is that what? Okay. The, is that the um, what are they? The Rangers that fight against mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. stuff is that it? Horizon Walker it sounds right. So there's basically that that sort of idea of you know people fighting against things in, coming into Forgotten Realms, and so they basically hurt or you know, had magic to tell them that something was going to happen, like there's going to be an incursion here. And so the players went there trying to figure out what it was. They thought it was going to be some evil demon stuff. And it was the players. It was the other players. And so um, from there, they, you know, they were like, you know, you seem cool. Let's just go to this place, which was um, up in the mountains. And so, you know, they said, we'll take care, you know, take care of you guys, whatever. And so they just started working together um, and then just got embroiled. Uh, I ran. Oh, what is that called? Um, the second edition adventure where you go, it's basically the the first Underdark adventure, really not Underdark, the first uh, Far Realm adventure. Like, there's a bunch of Far Realm stuff in it, but it's not like in the Far Realm. It's in uh, what is it called? It's uh, from what edition? Second, it's a fight. Gates of Firestorm Peak. So yep, that's about. exactly right. Yep, Gates of yeah. Firestorm Peak. Yeah. So I ran that whole thing, and that took forever. <laughs> so the group was together. You know, they gained a few levels down there, and. uh yeah, so, so, so it was an issue sort of, of like together. they ran into each other and, um, you know, one group was like, oh, well, we'll help shelter you for the time being. And then once you mm-hmm. sort of hear about the things that they're going and dealing with, the other the, the other folks are like, well, there's no reason for us to just sit around. We might as right. well jump in and help. And yep, yep. They, so you, you do that enough, you get enough shared shared experiences. Now you're a group. Exactly, exactly. And then um so at the beginning of Duty and Deity, they have to go, um, they go to the infinite staircase. And since they have been kicked out of Sigil, the infinite staircase is fantastic because they can still get around to wherever they need to be in Planescape. Mm-hmm. So um, so that's been awesome. I did a lot of stuff with the Planewalkers Guild there. Um, the problem is just like coming up with things like what is in the infinite staircase? Like they have to go find a, uh, you know, find a, a portal to, to this place. It's like, okay, well, what does that look like? Who's there? What's happening? So like, I have to do, do that. Do you a have lot, that old that's, module? That's cool. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've never, um, I've still, never like, run it, but way back in the day we did a, a one of our PDF um, review sort of mini review episodes. And mm-hmm. I did a dive into to the infinite staircase. And I think I recall, Monty Cook wrote that. Yeah, I think so. And I think mm-hmm. I actually had a chat with him about it at one point. So, oh, nice. So yeah, so that's the gist of uh, of that game. And actually, that's that's probably the game that I kind of have going the the easiest because like I know sort of the the end, you know. So they're just sort of getting there. 
So, um, so you start you you have the the end of the campaign already in mind, and you're just sort of filling in the gaps. Well, I mean, I have an idea of, and I know what they're trying to do. Right. So whether they do that or not is, you know, sure. we'll see. But but yeah, so I have a, a vision, so I know kind of what's going to happen, and I can make up obviously anything that I need to, right. which is like what I did. Like uh, one of them. Oh, they were in Neverwinter, and the ranger's like, I'm going to go out here, uh, like, you know, into the forest. And so I was like, okay, you find the dread ring, basically. He didn't know what it was, but he finds the dread ring there and finds somebody that has ended up talking to somebody that has a unicorn horn and said, like, you need to bury this or you need to, you know, cleanse it and, and do something with it. And so that was part of their adventure. Like, why, for a reason to get them. Um, you know, the Forgotten Realms guys into Planescape because they had to go to um, to the Beastlands um, to bury the the horn there. Okay. And so, so, so that's that's what initially got them there. Do you oftentimes start a campaign with a vision in mind of how it's going to end? No, most of my, you know, my, I feel like most of my campaigns are I don't know if it's just the way that we started playing long ago. It's like, I don't really have, like uh, we don't end campaigns. Like I've never really ended a campaign. Okay. They've, there've been years and years and it's just, we had to stop. And so therefore we're ending. Um, but I've never, you know, previously to fifth edition, it was kind of difficult to go from like one through 20 or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, we just never, never made it there. Okay. We jumped around a lot too. I mostly ask because I have often, like it is it is sort of my modus operandi to to come up with sort of the themes and a general idea of how to, how the campaign's going to start and then the mm-hmm. very next thing that I come up with is and now how's it going to end like mm-hmm. I, I will run an entire campaign with a vision in my head of what the very last scene of the campaign's going to be nice um, and and I don't know it seems like 9 times out of 10 that's that ends up being where things go, not due to railroading, but because this is the story that, that we've all agreed to tell, or, you know, that this is the sort of themes of the story that we've all agreed to tell. And I just have to figure mm-hmm. out how to make that in scene still match that theme. Right. Right. Like what's happening there. Yeah. Um, so, so you, you come at it more, more organically, but you've got a vision in your head to sort of for this one. Yeah. For this one, I, at least I, where uh, the story arc is, if not the campaign. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Right. So actually, the the thing that I was thinking about, you know, when you invited me on, um, is one of my Dark Sun campaigns. So I'll tell you about that real quick. So um, it's a new game. We've only had one session, um, and we had a session zero. And the way I started running the game was, uh, I just said like it's the dark days of Tear, right? It's this city of Tear before Kalak is killed, and and you know I figured you know Kalak will die, the characters will sort of uh, you know, start, start, start do-gooding and, uh, <laughs> and kind of get involved in the city politics and stuff like that, because I've run this campaign before mm-hmm. and that's basically what happened. Right. And that's also the adventures in, uh, like the dark sun adventures are kind of geared toward that. Right. And so I, in our not, session this zero, is not the first time I've heard of, of a, a dark sun campaign that starts with, it's the right. dark days of Tear, and then Kellogg is killed in like yeah, exactly you know, within the first five sessions. Yeah. You know? so, right, right. Yeah. So it was going to be yeah. you know in my mind like I've run this before, so I was like, okay, I'm just going to follow some of the stuff I did before, and mm-hmm. we'll see kind of where they take it. But then in the session zero, 
one of the guys was like, uh, I can I can you know can I say something that uh, you know maybe I don't want in the campaign? I'm like, yeah, of course, because we were talking about lines and veils and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's like, I don't really want to do anything with like, uh, you know, the slaves being freed and taking over Tear and blah 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 blah. Basically, everything that happens in the campaign. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, what am I doing with this campaign then? <laughs> oh. So that's that's where I'm at. Yeah, I'm like, okay, what am I gonna do? Because yeah. so they don't want to get involved in that at all. Uh, so we have a bard, a human bard, I think. Yeah, um, we've got a mole gladiator, uh, and then we've got uh, what's the third guy? Oh my gosh, can't think of what he is right now. Um, a fighter, yeah. So bard, a fighter, and a and a gladiator. Gladiator. Mm-hmm. Is, are you running this in two E in ADD? No, fifth edition. So, so no. what's your gladiator? Because that's not a class. Just a fighter. Okay, with, so, uh, so two fighters yeah. at a bar. Two, two fighters, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, like... Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. Not two fighters. A mystic. Oh. The green is a mystic. That's right. So, like, I mean, there's a lot more to... I mean, you know. There's a lot more you could do in mm-hmm. Darkstone, right? Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be slave stuff. But, like, so what are you going to... What are you thinking of? So, in, in, in one of the Darkstone discords um people were talking about like you know dark sun heresies like what what's your heresy you know it's like how do you break away from from canon like what are you going to do and so um i kind of you know most of my games of four have sort of always followed along with the major canon um but now i'm i am going to break it i'm just like i'm gonna have them go off on a on on a wild direction maybe the only thing i will keep in there is like the Kreen empire because that you know i've actually never Mm -hmm. used that in a game so i kind of want to use that um, so n- now they're going to have to basically, you know, stave off the Korean empire from attacking Tyr. I think that's sort of where, what I want to push them towards. How connected are they to Tyr? Um, they, they have reasons to be there. And so, okay. yeah, so like they're there and they have reasons to be there. Cool. Um, but do they have reasons to stay there? Um, so the Thrykreens, I I already introduced the the kind of other Thrykreen. Uh-huh. He doesn't really know what they are at the moment because I I said they have like these weird, uh, you know, prosthesis and stuff like that. Since it's like life shaped items and things like that, and so I was like, you just remember this. You have this racial memory of these people defeating your, you know, your clutch and your family, and so so he's now kind of involved that way. So he's mm-hmm. going to be there. Uh, the other guy is actually like a spy from Golg, and so he wants to be there because the Templar told him to be. <laughs> so he's there uh, until otherwise. And then the mystic is trying to find somebody to teach them psionics. Okay. So he doesn't yeah. have a strong tie there, but so the reason I'm asking, um, and it may or may not work depending on your players and what they want to do, right? Um, mm-hmm. But it it feels to me when I think of of what little time I've spent in Athos, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what little, what few campaigns or, or adventures I've run or played in, in Dark Sun. Um, I don't know. I, I like to tell stories that connect to some of the larger meta stories of that world, you know, mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm not going to go to Athos very often. So mm-hmm. when I do, it's, I don't mind breaking the world. Yeah. Um, Because I don't have to live with the consequences. I don't care. 
<laughs> um, right. And so I, I would oftentimes end up spending more time than normally I think what is done dealing with like the, the old empires that, you know, before it became before the, 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 Oh, what are they? The the wizards that draw the sorcerer kings. Yeah, the sorcerer well, kings. This is mm-hmm. before the sorcerer defilers kings and, and yeah. the defilers destroyed the world. Basically, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, there's all these hints, these ruins, uh, and whatever of you know yeah. the world didn't always used to be this way, and and whatever. And so I I will tell the story, uh, you know, through with through the campaign, we'll tell the story of the, maybe the beginnings of an effort to to restore Athens, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, if they if if they if you still want to stick with the you know it's session two and Calc dies sort of campaign. And I think you could do that. Um, then I, it almost becomes instead of the, and then the slaves are freed and, and what are the after effects that way? It becomes a, Oh, everybody just came to this realization that the sorcerer Kings are vulnerable. Like they can mm-hmm. be killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and from there, maybe, you know, the campaign becomes about toppling, all of the sorcerer kings, you know, there's crazy going on in the world because of that, right? <laughs> you know, right, the right. slaves are being freed and whatever, but that's not the story they're telling. They're telling the story of causing the, this upheaval and the, this disruption in the world. Um, mm-hmm. But that that requires it not to be an entirely tier based campaign, but instead a campaign that's more of a travelogue as they go around and and deal yeah. with. And, and and probably the politics and, and all of that involved. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, you could do a lot of, you know, a lot of interesting things, I think, with that, too. I yeah, mean, I guess I guess the issue with that for me or the question, I guess, I have for that is like, would they have a reason to go to the other right. states? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I was trying to get a little bit of. of yeah. Background. As to yeah, I at. think. So the idea was kind of, yeah, for them to mostly stay in tier, like they're not, you know, it's not like they're stuck there. Right. Um, like the previous campaign, I ran similar to that. Like they went to the Deadlands and back, you know, that sure. was a good few but, months. But tier was sort of the base of operations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So and this would be were, a very different sort of campaign. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. It'd be a different campaign. And so I sold them on the dark days of tier idea. And so okay. we're going to do that. So um one of the things that I've always wanted to do is so in Dark Sun, there are these life shape items, right? So they're basically living items, right? Um, the problem is that they, you know, it says like they have to drink water because they're living things, right? So they have to drink water. And they always say like, you know, if you went to the desert, they would dry out and die. But I like, I want a reason for them to be there. Like, I think it'd be awesome for people to be wearing like these, uh, you know, basically symbiote uh, items all over them. Um, there was an old Rifts book called uh, Wormwood, and that it was that that they had symbiotic mm. um, things that you could wear and weapons and things like that. Um, so I kind of like want to try to figure out a way to like have those life shape items just in you know in the tablelands. What they, lets them survive? Are they definitely the heroes of the story? No, because because uh, I was also thinking what what if. And this could tie into that as well. Um, what if you end up doing an alternate timeline sort of Dark Sun, mm-hmm. right? What if Calix mm-hmm. survives? What if mm-hmm. Calix survives because they save him? You know? <laughs> nice. Um, or, mm-hmm. or he does die, but but they you pull in like an Emperor Palpatine in episode nine sort of thing. It's like, well, he died, <laughs> but these, the party actually did something that, that 
you know, brought him back, brought, brought you know, mm-hmm. tethered his soul to another body or, or changed the timeline or plucked him out, yeah. of, out of time or whatever. Um, that would be awesome. That could be, or they used those life, those, uh, those living things you were just talking about to actually gather his soul back onto the mortal plane and uh, give him new life on build, that. build a new body for him. And yeah, yeah that'd be interesting. So like they could yeah. real, like if the, the city realizes like they're screwed because like they learn about the Kree empire kind of going to come and mm-hmm. take them right. over. And they're like, well, we need, uh, we need a Calac. And so <laughs> yeah, we're going to die without the Yeah. Maybe we have to figure out how to yeah. bring it back. Oh, that's a good, yeah. that's a cool idea. Yeah. We'll that, see. That could be fun. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, well, I've got some ideas. Thank you. There you go. And your time went off a little while ago. I got my, my, <laughs> my timer is quiet. So, uh, you may not have heard it, but, uh, just to, uh, before we move on to the next DM though, uh, if you want to support the Tome Show, go over to patreon.com slash the Tome Show, uh, become a backer for as little as a dollar a month. Uh, you can totally afford $12 a year. If, uh, well, I don't know if you can, but if you can afford $12 a year, we would definitely appreciate the support. It helps me pay the bills and keep the, keep the show going. Um, and let's, I'll just do all these fun things. So, all right, that's that. Sam. Yes, sir. You get to talk next. All right. Uh, just as a side note, I love the Gates of Firestorm Peak. That's why I knew what it was, what you were talking about. That's actually <laughs> yeah. Bruce Cordell's very first oh. project that he worked that he worked on when he started working yeah. at TSR. And it's some of the best work for second. It's very TV. interesting. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you, and you say it's far, far realmsy, right? Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. Which is yep. not a shock at all when you know Bruce Cordell. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. You yeah, can no, see where all that, that came from. He brought it right in. And it fits, it meshes really well with the, with the night below box set, right? Mm -hmm. Because the night below also has that sort of weird sort of mind flayer, abolith, far realm Mm -hmm. kind of odd psychic crap going on, right? Um, And they're both really nice setups for, you know, long campaigns with, you know, generalized area so you don't have to follow the set story you can you know i mean some at some points you do of course right but for the most part you can sort of set it up and and just run in your whatever setting you're playing it in and whatever um so yeah no that's one of my favorites i have it on the shelf behind me so that's really good nice um yeah, what am i doing so uh (laughs) playing games these days it's been like yeah i i am i am I I have a traveler game that I'm still running. Um, oh, that's right. That that we call Spaceship Fridays. Um, <laughs> <it's> <laughs> Spaceship Fridays, uh, and, and that's going really well. It's really really super fun. Um, I mean, at this point, it's only had six six or eight sessions or something, but it's like these sessions are really meaty and full of you know activity mm-hmm. and whatnot. And the party started out, and they they ha- they have a ship and. They took uh, a bunch of passengers. They they somehow found in the very first session. Actually, that this happened because I made a mistake, right? But <laughs> what happened was uh, I calculated something incorrectly, and they they happened to get all these passengers um, and a bunch of cargo that needed to go six parsecs away. And they're only a, a jump two ship, which means that it takes them a week to go two parsecs. So it's going to take like three weeks to get six parsecs. And so normally, a person with a lot of funds at a because they're they were at the sector capital at that point. So it's a really highly populated planet, has a really high technology level. They can easily, you know, in, anybody with lots of credits 
can easily that's money and traveler right can easily like find passage very quickly six parsecs they can hire a fast ship right um and for some reason these people wanted to hire my crew right <laughs> um the some reason was i made a mistake <laughs> in, the, in the math right uh but but that's okay because it turned out okay because i don't like retcon stuff i just go with it right and so when i realized there was a mistake i'm like eh, whatever we'll deal with it like it's not a big deal right and so but then i had to come up like in my mind with reasons why okay well why why was that why were the, those people there they all wanted to go to the same place and they're all willing to pay a really long lot of money for a really long trip relatively speaking so why is that well, it turns out that the reason is because they really didn't want to go to the main – normally when you take someone to an, a new subsector you, or to a new, you know, to a new system in a, in a sector or in a subsector, you take them to the cap, capital system, right? Whatever the main system – usually the system is named for the main populated planet, and that's where they get dropped off, and there's usually you know, a starport there and whatnot. But for this particular group, when they got – when they dropped dropped out of of jump space, which is basically like hyperspace kind of place, uh, when they dropped out of jump space, they or when they were in jump space, actually the the a couple of the um of the of the passengers sort of approached the the two two of the crew members and said, "Hey, we'd like to have a meeting with you," and they they asked to change the actual final destination that they're going to be dropped off at. And the final destination they wanted to be dropped off at was one of the planets in the system that they had scheduled to be dropped off at, but a different planet for, for, um, you know, they, they didn't really want to say the reason why they said they they need to meet someone there. And, and then they sort of dropped the bombshell that, well, every passenger on here also wants that. And what it was, was a, um, sort of illegal, pleasure cruise type of ship that was like it's basically like a ship las vegas right so it's got <laughs> like a ton of gambling it's got all kinds of like you know um a, a lot of different uh like different uh entertainment style things not necessarily like sex stuff but like that's probably there too because it's just sort of all encompassing but most of it is like you know it's this sort of strictly regulated ship that has like like this is where high rollers go, right? So you, all of your rich people are going to go there. That's where they go on vacation. The place it, it knows that some systems don't like that sort of activity in the system, so it doesn't really advertise that it's going to certain systems. It only tells its members where it is, right? And it's like this members only kind of club, and it's really high dollar and and that sort of thing. And okay, remind me, this is the same game that you were talking where they found an. A, a se- they accidentally found a, a, a secret armada or whatever. A whole fleet? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they left that. They they basically were told, you know, you did not see this, right? Their their crew member was react. Their crew member who had previously been a spy got reactivated and taken away because that guy left the game. And then they were told, basically, you were never here. You didn't see this. Wipe this from your records on your ship. Right. Make something up. Leave a hole there. Make it as untraceable as possible that there was any record that was ever changed and get the hell out of here and don't ever come back. But, basically but, but they, they keep running into things that they shouldn't be dealing with. 
Well, so so when they left there, that they, that that was their previous fight. You know, that was the last jump. They they were trying to do their last kind of other job before they delivered all these passengers. And then mm-hmm. and then as they went from one place to another after they left that place, that really dangerous, like oh crap, we could be screwed place, because that that armada could have made them disappear and made all nobody would have known, right? Like just they would have disappeared. They could have assumed it. You know, everybody would have assumed, oh, it's a missed jump. These people just disappeared. Well, sometimes that happens. Like whatever, and nobody would have ever known. Um. But yeah, so they let them go. For, so now they're freaked out, though, because two of the players are like, they let us go like that. This doesn't <laughs> like there's something here like we're going to totally get used later on because they know that we exist. And then they let us go and they could have just gotten rid of us. And this yeah. is a this is a problem. Right. Um, and so so that this is they were on their way to drop off the passengers from there. Uh, fr- from that particular stop, they were then going to go drop off the passengers, and that's when the passengers were like, "Hey, we have a proposition. We don't actually want to go to that. We want right. to go to this other place." And so they drop these. They they, they drop they drop the passengers off. Basically, they they agree and they take the. But the, the passengers also wanted them to illegally change their manifest to indicate that they did drop the passengers off at the original place and not at the. The name of the ship is the uh, Voluptus Cursoria, and it's a relatively well known for for the members and sort of high rollers in this sector right and um they didn't want to have that on their records that they got dropped off there or whatever and of course the the actual gambling ship also doesn't want any record of some other ship visiting them at a particular location right Right. um so they had there was some little like legal wrangling and how do we change our records and not sort of make it look like we keep tampering with our records kind of thing, right? (laughs) Because as soon as they stop at an Imperial starport that has a really good high-tech level and some people paying attention, they're going to see, hey, these records have been tampered with, you know? So so they're they're getting into all kinds of trouble that they don't even really know (laughs) yet what's going to happen, right? So they they stop at this place. It's interesting that the theme of the campaign seems to be... fraud uh, you know just just tampering your records <laughs> right but the thing is like that's like the least of they're still they're trying to keep their noses clean but they they do like sort of <laughs> advertise their ship as we have lots of weaponry we have armor on our ship we're all previous you know um you know military personnel and 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 so we will protect you so they're they are trying to sort of advertise themselves as we're not your typical like just you know ship that's going to take passengers like we'll protect you we have the ability to you know stave off any attackers we are not subject to piracy that sort of thing which is which is a fear in certain sure you know in certain systems so but it it sounds like they're advertising themselves in such a way that they want to have fights well so well so what (laughs) they only so they're not like advertising like hanging a sign right but they're using contacts and and different you know back alley kind of messages right that like because when they players are they getting those fights are they getting to scratch that itch well they're about to so let me finish so so they get to (laughs) they they get to uh they get to the the ship and they drop their passengers off and then the um the 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 person who owns the ship who runs the the whole gambling thing um contacts them and says hey you know we noticed that you docked here you want to come talk to me i i know that you had some trouble with some deliveries previously and i can i can actually help you with that and take that off your hands and you know so there was some wrangling for some other smaller deliveries that they had some issues with and so what happens is they end up signing a deal with this place that if they are ever located within a couple of parsecs of where that ship is going to be, they could actually be contacted and offered a job. They're they're now kind of on the job board list for that gambling 
ship, that gambling operation, mm-hmm. to come and like deliver passengers clandestinely mm-hmm. from one place to another because they like to keep their location secret, right? But you know that this is not just a gambling ship, right? This is where like lots of politicians go meet and like secrets are bought and sold. It's not just like, oh, let's go roll some dice and watch some porn and have some fun. Like it's it's like they're not just some drunk guys going to a strip club in Vegas, right? They're like, okay, you're on this ship and there's a whole bunch of really rich, powerful people here. They know things, right? And so information is also brokered and i don't think the party has caught on to that yet that the the reason this ship has to say so secret isn't because everybody in the galaxy is a prude it's because <laughs> this place has secrets <laughs> and they know things about people and people don't like that you know um so that's kind of on the back burner they left they made friends with the people they now have those people as a contact and now they go they go to do their actual job that they were hired for in that area other than dropping off the passengers which is they were hired to uh regain or reobtain a religious fam- familial artifact from the planet that is the whole the whole religious planet that that I talked about last time where the the planet is is ruled by a religious dictatorship and that person who rules that who's called the Supreme Scribe, he's in ill health and he's about to die. It turns out he died while they were in transit. And one of the families that is vying for taking over that position to have their sort of leader put into that position, on that planet, you have to have like the the correct like artifacts and items to show that you are one of the founding families and all this kind of, well, that thing got stolen from them, got stolen four or five years ago, and they've been looking for it for the whole time and keeping it secret that it got stolen because they don't want it to get out that they lost their, basically their bona fides, right? They, they've lost their certification. So uh, they that's who one of the family members hired the crew he somehow got some intel that it's on. It was on this other planet that they had never looked at before because they they had evidence that the the people who stole it were in a different place, and so he sent the party clandestinely to go try to retrieve that. Well, they did. They went down and they retrieved it. They found it though in this weird temple that the locals on that planet, which are very relatively low tech level, thought was like that was their temple location. But when the when they get when they get down there, the party they let the party in. And into their temple, and the temple is like this old, crashed, underground space station unit. It's like this weird subunit mm-hmm. thing. And inside, they find four individuals in in cryo sleep, basically. And they've been there so long; three of them are dead, but one of them is still alive. And so they like, and and then they find the artifact. So they they sort of try to figure out: well, should we? Should we wake this guy up and take him with us? Like, who is this? We don't even know who this is, what this is going on. He had a weird patch on his shoulder. Um, so they're, they're like trying to figure out, okay, now this whole thing's a mystery. And why is this thing here? And this doesn't make any sense. And so they, they re- regain the artifact. As they're leaving, they notice that um, another ship had landed. And was they as they're like taking off, they see a bunch of men in like combat armor running at them with guns and they start firing at them. So they fly by and they like basically punch a hole with all their weaponry in this other ship and ground it. And then they go back and they and they and they leave the planet and they go and they meet with their contact and they give him the item. He's very, very thankful. And then they mention, well, you know, they came after us. We're not sure because he had told them that there's a couple of clans that that found out that their item got stolen, then I might try to come and take it from them. And uh, and they said, well, we, these people did come after us and they shot at us, so we we like downed their ship and and we you know 
basically. And he was like, he got really excited and giddy and really happy about it. He's like, oh, oh, that's really fantastic. And he suddenly turned into this, like, you know, he's really just celebrating like this, you know, basically making this other family look the fool. And so then he, uh, he basically says to them, okay, now that I have this artifact back, my family is going to, we're the most powerful family and we are going to be named the supreme leaders of this planet. And the planet has 60 billion people on it, right? 60 billion people. So here's the thing. The, the, there's a reason why that Imperial fleet was on the other planet in that system. So if you're my player and you're listening to this, you need to turn this off and quit listening right now. The reason that fleet is on there is because they know that that planet with 60 billion people is about to have a, a switchover of control and and leadership and they want to come in if there's a problem and if there's a problem that will give them a reason under one of the imperial edicts to declare martial law on that planet and take over that planet and the imperium having control of a planet with 60 billion citizens is a great recruiting ground for new imperial soldiers so that's why that fleet is hidden there because they and the party kind of found out that the star base, the starport that is around that main planet, the leader of that planet had some kind of weird stuff. They they sort of they had an interaction with him and then they went and looked him up and they found that he used to like control a battle squadron in one of the heaviest, like heaviest war zones during the Soleimani incursion. And they're like, now he's demoted to like running a, being a commander of a starport. That doesn't make sense. And then the rest of his weapon of his record is wiped clean. So they already suspect something's going on. Well, of course, because the Imperium put him in there to, you know, to watch over everything. And they, they made it look like he was just some low level middle manager commander guy. But of course he's a high level Intel guy who's running and because he's watching and he can send the command right away to get the fleet over here when when everything goes sideways so the contact from the for the players when they give him the artifact and they tell him that they like destroyed this pursuing ship he gets really giddy and he turns he like he he just suddenly like his immaturity comes out right and he like it's it becomes obvious to them oh he's probably not fit to rule a 60 billion person population right like this is probably not good but then he offers them he, he says to them look we do a negotiation to set to to vote like the all the main family all the ruling families get together and then there's a vote to find out who's going to be the new supreme scribe and then we all have to show like our our you know we have to show our artifacts and show our you know our our right to be the leader and then that after that like six hour negotiation area where the whole thing is sort of set in stone then there's like a 12 hour like celebration and i need bodyguards for that and i'll pay you anything and that's what he says to them because he knows like they're, they're willing to shoot holes in this enemy ship who they don't even know. So he's like really – he wants them to be his bodyguard. So they're messing around and they're talking about and they and they just throw out a number. They're like, well, how about like $2 million or $3 million or something like that? And he was like, okay, sold. Here's where I need you to be. My security my, – my current security detail will give you all this information. Here's what – and that's where that session ended because, of course, <laughs> I didn't know it was going to go that way. It was just like they – 
I didn't even know they were going to mention it to the guy that they had had a, a, a firefight right before they left because they didn't know any information about that ship. They didn't really know anything about it, but they they sort of decided, OK, we're just going to mention it. and they kind of offhandedly mentioned it to the guy. And I had already decided he's kind of a immature, like he's one of the youngest members of his family. He doesn't have a lot of experience, but he's like really gung ho, but he's also really immature. And so when he heard that, he just like his eyes lit up and he got really excited and then he offered them basically anything. He's like, look, I'm going to be running a planet that's 60 billion people or one of my family members will be. I have unlimited resources, basically. Do you want some of those? Because to be my bodyguards during this whole thing, I'll let you have some of that. And they threw out what they thought was like a number nobody would take. And he's like, yep, OK, sign on the dotted line. Right. <laughs> so and then he tells them, well, also, by the way, uh, the government has asked that the Imperium come in and act as neutral guards right a, a neutral force there neutral security force uh -huh. just in case anything bad happens so now they're going to be in a room in a, in a conference room basically a little big area but a conference room surrounded by imperial soldiers with the four three or four other main ruling families and their bodyguards and this guy who's an immature little prick yeah. <laughs> right and they have to defend him at all costs it's great. So that's going to be the next session is that that whole thing is going down. Uh -huh. So <laughs> that'll be good. Yeah. And I, amongst all of those, I also, it occurred to me that when the, when the other forces that sort of are leveraging them, whether it's the guy that wants to be in charge of the planet or whether it's the, the leader of the secret fleet or whatever, finds out that they know where the pleasure ship is that that where all the information is you mm -hmm. know, is had right um yep there's a lot of opportunity to leverage yeah. them there too oh oh, right. oh you 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 know where that place is interesting uh -huh. i i i have right. a task for you to do well we, we don't really exactly. want to do that task yeah but like we right. have a whole fleet we're gonna kill you if you don't <laughs> right. Well, and then there's the fact that because that ship moves, so they might not know where it is at any given time, but they can probably always find out right. because they're they don't know this yet. But one of the passengers that they had taken to that ship is actually a Soleimani security spy, basically, yeah. who is in Imperial territory. And they're they're doing him a favor because he contacted them and their next job after they do this security job is to go help him get back into Soleimani space because he has something he wants to do over there and he wants their help with it. And they already said, yeah, we'll come pick you up and take you over there as long as you can get us papers that allow us to go into Soleimani space. So they're like... <laughs> <laughs> they're basically becoming spies, but they're civilians, so they're, they, they, they're going to they be so screwed. <laughs> they have, uh, but incidentally, with the jobs that they've taken and and the the ways they've handled things, turned embroiled themselves in a very complicated yeah. web. Yeah, mm -hmm. they're they're going to have to eventually. They're going to have to run and hide somewhere uh, because some of the the thing is that the person they woke up from cryo sleep mm -hmm. is also has like. The per it's not a normal person like he cannot communicate with them and so they were also doing all these when they were in jump space doing all these scientific tests and so there's this whole other kind of part going on where they're going to find out he's like some kind of clone that didn't work so some agency was trying to clone people to make soldiers and there's like so hmm. I mean they're they're just all in it they're in it yeah. it's like they you are. know 
Yeah. But, but so I hope there's think? lots of opportunities for fights because that seems from the way they sell themselves, that seems to <laughs> yeah. be what they want to do. Well, that's the thing is Traveler is so dangerous if you get in a fight. So really, mm. it's it's more like the arms race. You sell yourself as the one with the biggest guns so that nobody fights you. I see. Robert, you were going to say what do you, Yeah. Yeah. What do you think is kind of going to happen during the negotiations? I'm not sure. I, 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 I'm, oh boy. Well, so I haven't decided yet if I think the Imperials should intercede no matter what. Um, they might just watch, and then if they decide that a person gets elected who, or gets chosen, who they feel like they can control, which might have to, like, so I, I think what's going to happen is I'm going to have some Imperials approach the, the party before they end up actually at the site and tell them basically we're going to try to make it so that your guy gets in and wins the, the, the sort of pseudo election. Right. Cause it's really just a big debate between these possible founding families. And then, you know, they have to get like, everybody has to vote and like, the, the ruling families have the like the two or three main ones have a debate to try to get the other leaders of the other ruling families to vote for them, right? And then that's how they become the supreme person. And so I think the Imperia, I think the Imperium wants the person who the party works for to win because that guy is completely malleable, right? He's just so mm -hmm. immature and so like they're sure they can control him. But if another person wins, I think they think it'll be a problem, so they're going to try to, they're going to try to massage that into that direction. Which I'm sure the players will be like, "Oh yeah, it's great. We want our guy to win, right?" Because then they think they're going to have access to a bunch of resources. But what they don't realize is, well, then the Imperium's going to swoop in and like basically try to take control of that guy. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's probably what's going to happen. But I, I honestly don't know. To be perfectly honest, my party might, at the beginning of the session, tell me, you know, we've decided we have other, like, things that we that we want to demand of this guy before we <laughs> agree to really take this job. Like, I, I have no idea, like, what they're going to do. And none of this is really planned. Like, I'm, like, when I'm prepping for this game, I'm really just, I know who, like, the major players in this sector are, and I know kind of what's going on with the genetic clone guy. But, like... Really, I don't know what they're going to do any given session from one one to another. And I think their guy is going to win the election. But, you know, while they're doing the thing, they might do or say something in that conference that changes everything. And then people don't vote for him. And so he loses. Like, I, I really don't know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I was just thinking yeah. it would be cool. Uh, like, it's, a you know, if you, if you see a movie where the group is all trying to do something, but all these outside forces come and like try to change what they're doing. So maybe one family tries to, you know, get them to murder, to murder the guy. Another family mm -hmm. just tries to get them to poison him. So he's not involved. And like, right. you know, you could have like all these different things that people want yep. from them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so they, so that's, kind of partly what's happening with that Soleimani security guy. It's just that he doesn't necessarily care about this planet, but he wants to get them away from it as soon as possible, so he doesn't really care, but he might like press some buttons and levers with them to try to get them to go get to go to where he is sooner, which would mean they wouldn't be able to fulfill their their uh, you know, their deal with with the with the guy at the other planet so hmm. that could cause problems for them right mm -hmm. um yeah so yeah i don't know like 
it it completely relies on them actually saying, yeah, we're still going to do this, and yes, we want to vote for our guy, or no, we're not really going to protect him very much if the firefight breaks out. So, yeah, <laughs> it's tough. But yeah, so fighting fighting is very very dangerous in this system, and you know because there is kind of a death spiral that happens. So if you get hit just a couple of times, I mean, you could start going downhill. And if you don't have access to medical facilities, you know, you're you're not probably going to survive. Yeah, but we'll see. Stay tuned next time to find yeah. out what happens to them. <laughs> next time, which in theory, because this this uh, recording kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back, yeah. might just be in like a week or two. So it could be. It, it could be. It could we be. don't know. It could be. <laughs> we haven't started trying to schedule that one yet. So yeah. All right. Well, that is. Uh, I think. I think that's exactly fifteen minutes, right? It's, yeah. Right. Fifteen. Fifteen mm-hmm. minutes over. Oh, yes. <laughs> Um, so I do want to remind folks that if you want to talk to us, uh, Tome Show folks, we are, we're around, uh, we have our social medias, um, our Twitter is still active, uh, you know, for the time being, uh, Twitter, what's that? Right. It, it, it's the name of, of a social media platform that has not changed its name because we get to make our, our, our decisions about what we call things. Right, like the yeah. D fifth edition. Yeah, I uh, I call it the artist formerly known as Twitter. Right. <laughs> um, but Facebook we're on as well. Um, I'm on what Threads Mastodon. and Blue Sky and Mastodon and all those places. Uh, pretty much, if you look at a social media for Squatch S Q U A C H, there's a good chance that you'll find me. Uh, and if you do so, really, that that is not me fishing for more social media uh, connections because um, the world would probably be better if most of us spent less time on social media. Uh, but that is a way for you get, you to get a hold of me and then I can send you the link to our Discord uh, server, which is where you should totally hang out because our Discord community is pretty awesome. Uh, and that's, that's where you like to hang out if you want to really uh, hang out with the Tome Show fans. So, all right. With that said, I'm going to talk about my game. Um, I continue to not have a game with my kids. Um, oh, no. <laughs> um, we had a session zero. We built characters. I had this idea where it could be um, relatively short run things. This is what we talked about as a, as, a, as a group is what we wanted to do. So you could so which would allow me to bring in like I set set it in Vodari. Um from the season of Odari um, that our friend Brandis worked on. And then I figured out that I could put, instead of floating out in the astral sea, astral sea, the Radiant Citadel could be deep, deep into the ocean, which would fit into that setting very well. Uh, that within the Radiant Citadel, there could be a grand library and thus bring in Candlekeep Mysteries, um, you know, I found a way to take a bunch of different anthology books, uh, as well as just random homebrew stuff. Um, and and um, what was the reason? Oh, the uh, uh, Keys from the Golden Vault, which is another anthology uh, adventure book, right? And they can all sort of I can I can just pick and choose from those, and and we could just do a bunch of little short run adventures. And then when we need to take a break to do, you know, because. If I don't play Torg with them, I never get to play Torg these days. If I don't, you know, if we want to just play card games some week weekend, we can do that. But that way we can sort of take a break whenever we want to. Um, but we we did our session zero. And then 
um, my oldest started working more and he keeps getting scheduled to work on Sundays because this is what happens when you have a 17 year old who is part of your campaign. Um, and so that made things difficult. And then we're like, okay, fine. Let's let's maybe move it to our regular game from Sunday to Saturday and we can do it earlier in the day. Um, and that'll that'll work out fine and we'll be able to get some gaming in every now and then because it's been like a month since we built characters and then haven't played a single game since. Um, and that was the plan. And then uh, I got COVID and was miserably sick on Saturday. <laughs> so we still haven't done that either. Um, so, so yeah. So anyway... That game hasn't happened. Um, they built their characters. I even uh, 3D printed and bought miniatures that they could paint to use for their characters. Um, I had to 3D print the the oldest. He's playing uh, Sicalius, which are like octopus people. Mm. Um, and mm. try as I might, I could not find octopus person miniatures to buy. So I'm like, you know what? I have access to 3D printers uh, at the Makerspace on campus. I'm just going to go print one. Uh, and I did. It, it turned out pretty well. I mean, he hasn't painted it, but here we are. Um, so anyway, that's where that's at. My main campaign is my or my adult campaign, as I as we call it, um, is my descent into Avernus campaign. Last time we chatted, um, and uh, Robert, are you how familiar are you with descent? Um, pretty familiar. I've read okay. it. So if I if I say that the last time we chatted, I finished off by talking about Harriman's Hill, your your Mm-hmm. vaguely aware of that although yeah. i am using um uh a, a publisher uh, an author whatever called evan tier um on dm's guild who uh, a lot of his ideas for descent into avernus including the um avernus is a sandbox and so harman's mm-hmm. hill in the original published adventure is like towards the beginning of of their time in avernus uh, the way it turns out here is it actually ended up being towards the end of their time in Avernus, um, mm. or at least I don't know. I'd say we're at least two thirds of the way into the cam- through the campaign, if not further. Um, basically, they're looking for the three people who were there when Zeriel fell, because those are the three people that know where the sword is hidden. Uh, and Harman mm-hmm. was one of them. Olanthius is one of them, and Bell is the other one. And they're like, yeah, we don't really want to go talk to Bell. That sounds like a bad idea. Um, and they didn't really want to talk to Haruman, but um, two of the characters are are twin Shatterkai assassins, and um, somebody offered them a contract to go uh, to go free the soul of Jandar Sunstar, who is trapped at Haruman's hill. So you go there, you mess around with the souls on on the on the hill, and it it more or less summons Haruman. Um, mm. I talked about how I ran my little um, little mini uh, adventure there uh, that that took place in the in the blink of an eye, uh, so that I could sort of hold off of the Harmon fight, and I and I generated much of that adventure by having conversations with uh, ChatGPT, and and so AI nice. helped me helped me come up with the ideas, um, which was not by any means. A ready-to-go adventure, but it gave me enough of a, of a seed, of a kernel, of a, of a narrative to sort of build from, and some good ideas, Th- and that went really, really well. From there, so this is getting into new stuff. From there, they they ended up back at um, the Wandering Emporium. The Wandering Emporium keeps showing up more and more uh, for them. You know, the it's it, it is a location that moves around in Avernus, um, and because I am mashing up the Adventurers League 
campaign in Avernus with the regular campaign, um, which the Adventurous League campaign, the Wandering Emporium is the base of operations for the whole campaign. So, um, so it just shows up on a pretty regular basis instead of like the two or three times it would normally show up in a campaign. It just shows up all the time. Um, and that's when they discovered that one of their allies there, uh, an old man named Fai Chin, uh, who's been protecting a little girl who is uh, named Dara, who is actually a chosen of Ilmater because she's a little girl who was in Candlekeep one day and bumped into a book and read it, and it was the, the Book of Exalted Deeds. Uh, and so she became nice. a chosen of, of the god of self-sacrifice. And um, her she's on a mission to to come to Avernus, with, and Faichin is her protector, um, to, to find these wayward souls that did not end up where they were supposed to end up and they these souls are hell riders and my players are very connected to the hell riders uh and so it all sort of ties in the, one of the uh, uh key features of who fai chen is is he they have discovered that he knows how to duplicate himself so they when they get into the wandering emporium they run into like dozens of fai chins running around running errands all, all over the market um but this time they show up and it turns out that Fai Chen is missing. All of him. All of the Fai Chins have gone missing. And Dara explains to them, oh, this has been happening for some time. Um, there's been fewer and fewer and he didn't want to talk about it, whatever. And then it turns out that one of his old um, compatriots, uh, they trained at a monastery together. They're, he's a monk. Um, they trained at a monastery together, you know, decades ago. And, and they were both uh, indentured in, in the Wandering Emporium for, together for a while. Um, came and basically kidnapped all the Fai Chens. Um, turned out they were hired by Mahadi, who runs um, the Wandering Emporium, because Mahadi wants to know how Fai Chen was able to do enough work to get out of the indenture that got him free of, of the Wandering Emporium. Um, so they, they follow the clues. They find all the Fai Chens being captured by, uh, having been captured by the, the former rival, um, it, it ends in a big fight with uh, a version of the rival because the rival figured out how to also duplicate himself by torturing the Fai Chens um, and manages to um, make an arrangement or, or but his first attempt uh, the, the enemy's first attempt to duplicate himself went poorly and so the final combat is a weird amalgam monster of five of the enemy all sort of still mashed up together uh, and disfigured. So you got this crazy monk with five heads and five sets of arms and five sets of legs um, spinning around on, on themselves and, and and fighting everything. And so that was a fun uh, little adventure, fun fight. Um, they got back to the... I love that. Yeah. I, I love them. I love them amal- amalgamation monsters. Yeah, they're just so creepy and weird. And, yeah, they're fun. yeah. And that was all straight out of the Adventurers League uh, adventure. I didn't write any of that. Um, I may have tweaked some things here and there, but but it was all straight straight from them. Uh, and the next adventure I ran then uh, for them, or the next thing that that ran into was another um, Adventures League adventure. Um, Dara and Fai Chin had told the party for some time that, oh, we figured out the location of this place called Weatherstone Keep. And we believe that there is a Hellrider soul still trapped there. It's not the the whole legion that we're looking for, but we discovered a trapped Hellrider soul. It'd be great if you could go and figure out what's going on and free this soul. And it turned out on their map, they put it on their map and then figured out that, oh, this is really close to 
the Crypt of the Hellriders, which is where we wanted to go next to find Olanthius. So they're like, well, we'll just go do that first, and then we'll head over and deal with the Olanthius situation and, and continue back on the main quest. Um, especially because Dara had recently figured out that it's not even a Hellrider's soul. It seems like there's just a living Hellrider who somehow has been hiding out, trapped in, in these ruins um, for 100 years. Uh, it turns out the ruins are... Um, it was an old city that had been dragged into, uh, or palace or whatever that had been dragged into um, hell, you know, centuries ago. But there was a single temple dedicated to Torm that survived and is still consecrated. Uh, and so it has provided some protection. And so when this Hellrider showed up and, and begged for help, uh, prayed for help, Torm answered the prayer, but not in the way expected. He didn't send like an angel to rescue him. Instead, he... He he hid him in a in a uh, in a basically a glass room underneath the altar in stasis. Um, so he's safe and protected, right? And so the party gets there and and works their way through the the horde of devils that are just sort of hanging out up, up, upstairs, not even realizing that the temple of Torm is necessarily down there. Uh, they get down there, and as they get down there, I decided, oh, this is a place in hell with a touch of the divine, and not like evil divine, right? But but um, the goodly divine. Um, this is an opportunity, and so I gave them, you know, as as you walk in the room, the the altar is there, and and there's a statue of Torm, and his sword starts to glow, and this is all from the adventure, and the the glow, the glow has these mechanical benefits that helps them because the the fight's going to be um, like a three or four wave. Um, combat against increasingly difficult devils, right? and so they need a little bit of a boost, some some healing, whatever. Um, but I, I added in the as soon as the sword starts to glow, it immediately flashes bright enough that it blinds you, and you're given a vision. And they all and I, and I described um, if you're familiar with the Forgotten Realms, I described a a, a location known as I think it's Sinosher, uh, which is sort of the 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 Parthia, Parthenon floating through the astral sea meeting place of the gods um mm. you know and the, the tablets of fate are on a pedestal off in the off in the one end and then if you know the avatar series from back in the day from what ad and d um i'm sort of describing what i vaguely recall from those novels of sinisher mm-hmm. um but in sinisher is not the gods the gods are not meeting at this time but two gods are uh and those two gods are bahamut and we have one cleric of bahamut in the party and one paladin who is um moving more and more towards following bahamut and then we have the two shatterkai assassins who are devout worshipers of the raven queen um who in that ai generated adventure they they actually freed an aspect of the raven queen that remembered what it was like to be mortal and help sort of get her to be more active in in the planes um and this is and so they sort of see this vision of a meeting between the raven queen and bahamut and the raven queen being a younger deity than bahamut is is like you know i don't understand why we're here you and i have have nothing in common. We have no similar goals. I'm, I don't care about your your righteousness and whatever. And Bahamut, being the more mature god, is like, eh, I don't think we're as far off from each other as you think we are. Like you, you're all about, um, you know, protecting fate and making sure that souls go where souls are supposed to go. And 
if that doesn't sound like justice, I, I don't know what justice is. You know, I don't know what righteousness is if it's not making sure that the eternal reward is, is what it's supposed to be, you know? Um, and, and, and basically as an echo of what's happening in the party, I created the, this, uh, maybe not an alliance, but in a, in, a, in a beginning agreement between these two gods talking specifically about the party. Like, well, it, our, our followers working together seems to be going pretty well. Uh, and, and there's a lot going on that they, a lot of good they might do. I think we should be supporting that. And, and they eventually come to some sort of an agreement, but part of the, part of the threat that they are want to want to keep an eye on through the party is um, a, a, an entity, another entity that they call the, the whispered one, which my players then of course freak out because on a meta level, they know who who's being discussed, and they've they've seen the hand, and they've had visions of the hand and eye being cut out of Vecna, uh, and they they know that their patron, known as the that they know of as the betrayed, um, is otherwise sometimes known as the betrayer, and and is connected to that, and has a a mighty sword that one of the characters is currently wielding, uh, and so. Um, they are slowly coming to the to the well, not even slowly at this point. They have come to the realization that their patron is actually Kaz, um, mm. and and that Vecna, you know, maybe isn't the primary villain of the story, but boy, is he an opportunist, right? And he has <laughs> some influence here because the champion of Tiamat is sitting or sitting in Avernus, playing with divine forces. While wearing the hand of Vecna, you think Vecna's not manipulating that situation? You think Archon's just strong enough to to wield the the hand of Vecna and and do what he wants with it and force it to to accomplish his goals? That that's not how Vecna works. Um, and so and so they they of course are freaking out about that. While the the characters are a little bit less like energetic about it because they don't you know it's. It, the campaign starts in the Forgotten Realms. This is not a Greyhawk campaign. Most of them have no idea who Vecna is, forgetting that that he's from a different world. He's also a god of secrets, right? He's real good at not being known if he doesn't want to be. <laughs> so, um, but they're starting to get those those hints and those tips about what's going on, and th- that was a lot of fun. Uh, from do they, there, they, do they actually know the Kaz Vecna story? Um, they definitely didn't know it when we started. But one of them had a clear vision, uh, wherein I described sort of the two of them overlooking their army, and and mm-hmm. um, then there was the betrayal, and Kaz attacked and and cleaved out the the eye and the hand, and and so they got a little bit of the the Cliff Notes version. Okay, they know they know Vecna because several of them anyway are Critical Role fans, um, and they or at least the first campaign, right? And so they know Vecna from that pretty well. Um, or at least that version of Vecna, right? So, th- so they're excited uh, about the Vecna thing. The, the the thing is, I don't know how much I actually care about the Vecna thing. It was it was this this wild hair idea I had of making the entity inside the the second son of Elturel instead of it being a, a trapped angel of making it Kaz, um, because there's a whole Vecna thing kind of going on that the campaign never really deals with. The fact that the hand of Vecna is prominently located in the adventure um, feels like should should have consequences, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I have this kind of wild idea in my head of like, well, 
when the normal campaign ends, if they want to keep going for a little while, there could be a whole Vecna story arc at the at the end that I would have to homebrew a bit and, and do some things with. Um, you know, so we'll we'll throw some things out there and see see what if their interest is there. Right now, their interest seems to be high, but, but we'll see where we're at towards the end of the campaign if they're ready to be like, all right, this was satisfying, and we can just sort of do an epilogue of and Vecna still out there thing, and uh, or, or maybe they want to go hunt down Vecna. I don't know. Uh, I've also hinted at them that the eye of Vecna is in Faerun, is in the Forgotten Realms. Um, so, in fact, I think I hinted at them that it was in Baldur's Gate, which is where they spent the beginning part of the campaign. Yeah, I, I love the idea of, you know, one, one of the cool things about the Hand of Vecna just kind of being there in that adventure, but not really having much to do with anything, is that that's one of those pieces where... Okay, they see it. They might not really have anything to do with it, or it might not really have all that much, but perhaps at the end of the campaign, when they finish whatever they have finished, whatever they set out to do, whatever goals that they had set, like what they don't realize is while they were working for good, right? Like their particular win over whatever villain is being defeated actually now has opened the door for unintended consequences because Vecna's hand was in there. So like, it doesn't even have to be directly related to, it doesn't have to be a Chekhov's gun, right? It doesn't have to be in your campaign, but if they, like you said, if they want to continue further or later on, if you ever have a campaign that, that involves Vecna's hand or Vecna in any way, shape or form, like the story of how he got power in this particular time can actually right. go back to what was done in Avernus. And if the players are the same players, learning that little piece of lore is connected to what their previous characters mm -hmm. did five years ago or whatever, like could be really fun. Cause that's often very rewarding yeah. for players when yeah. they see that they did something and now, Oh, here we are. Totally, we, we think it's a totally different campaign and something's totally different. And, and then all of a sudden, Oh crap, we remember that. Right. Like we were there, not, well, I, not these PCs, but the other ones. I, yeah. did, I did that a lot in the previous campaign of, of sort mm -hmm. of, laying the groundwork for things that would happen in this campaign. Like the, in the previous campaign, um, they created the Shield of the Hidden Lord, which plays prominently into Descent into Avernus, right? Okay, and yeah. Now one, and now one of them is wielding the Shield of the Hidden Light. Like they trapped the, the devil right. Gargoth in the shield in the previous campaign. And now in the current campaign, they've made a promise to free Gargoth from the shield that they put him in. You know? so, <laughs> um, so yeah, so absolutely. that You're right. That, that's a good idea. This could all be foreshadowing a future campaign not mm -hmm. necessarily things to do in sort of an act three that that i haven't really come up with what it would be yeah. other than i don't know uh, uh kaz really wants you to find the eye combine the two and then destroy them so um yeah uh i'm way over time but but uh after that we did get they did get to the crypt of the Hellriders. um they it turns out in the crypt of the Hellriders, if you go in and just hug the left wall and happen to find the secret door, you only go into like two rooms and then find the thing you need in the crypt. <laughs> um, which was fine. And then I had Olanthius show up like he does when you find the thing, right? Uh, and they they made an arrangement with him and he's going to help them, but they have to go do a thing to, to free Kostichi, the demon lord, to, to, um, to distract Zeriel so that she won't follow them and find out where the, the sword is in case they fail to retrieve it and whatever. They don't want her going in. Uh, so that all sort of played out. But then I had this idea. It's about time to, to hit some major milestones where we're ramping towards sort of the, the end of the campaign theoretically right now. Um, but 
they've had this running rivalry with one of the uh, warlords uh, of Avernus named Bitterbreath, a horned devil who's who's uh, whenever he speaks, like he can't say words, just it turns to smoke. He's been cursed by by Zeriel. He used to be a pit fiend who was demoted into a, a you know a, a horned devil, and he's actually working for Bell now. It turns out, and whatever, right? Um, so they've, they've encountered him several times and I've just decided to let him keep coming back. I, they don't normally have it, but I gave this horned devil the ability to teleport. So when he gets into a real tough, tough situation with them, he just teleports away. Um, so they've beaten him two or three times now, but he, and so I, it's not like, oh, this would be a, a satisfying thing. And then there's another NPC who's actually the cleric's brother, um, who, uh, in our campaign, actually is like the great 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 grand nephew of Archon and, and is also a cleric of Tiamat and and works with Archon uh in Avernus now. Uh and so the brother keeps showing up as well and um you know the one character wants to just deal with him. Like let's just let's just hash this out and, and be done with it. And so I'm like okay let's let's hash this out and be done with it. So I planned this whole encounter where they they show up as you leave the crypt of the Hellriders the two of them are there because, as, as a sign of good faith, because Bell and Tiamat are trying to form an alliance against Zeriel, and that's represented by Bitter Breath and, and the brother being there, and they're on the bitter, uh, the brothers on the back of a dragon, and there's some some other devils there working with Bitter Breath and whatever, right? Um, so I, I planned out this whole like big combat, big important combat that would sort of wrap up these these two major story points, um, and then like two or three hours before the session it occurred to me or i offered them an infernal contract like they have come as representatives of tiamat and bell to offer the party a contract um and i'm like you know and maybe they'll take it but so far in the campaign literally every time any contract has ever been offered they've been adamant that there is no chance they're taking any contracts right they're like no no, no. we we understand devils we understand how we're not taking any contracts so I'm like, there's a good chance. There's a there's a better than average chance they're gonna just immediately reject the the contract, and this becomes a fight. Well, what if you you know what if something happens where they know they have to take it even before it's like it's offered? Well, so it turns out um, it was a, it was an offer too good to be true, and they did take it. Um, mm. I, I think more so it was probably because one of the players was gone that session. And they looked at the situation. It's like, this is not a fight we can win. <laughs> We're going to die. But but there's this contract on the table. Would it be helpful? Would it not be helpful? The brother was like, absolutely not. I, I know my brother well enough to, to know that I can't trust him. This is this is a no. And but but he's not really here for himself. He's representing Archon. Maybe I don't know, maybe uh it's tricky, right? The others were like, probably not. This is bad, probably a bad idea. But then the one who's a, a, a follower of the Raven Queen is like, you know what? Let me check on a thing. And she casts an augury. And the Raven Queen, you know, from the Raven Queen's perspective, it's like, well, this contract would align you with significant powers, which would give you the opportunity to, um, you know, fulfill your contract and, and free Kaz, who is, who is an ally of the Raven Queen's because Raven Queen hates Vecna. Um you know, to her perspective, yeah, no, this this is this is real. This is a this is a good deal. You know, <laughs> um, so the once the the follower of the Raven Queen finds out, oh, the augury says that the Raven Queen says this is a good idea. I guess I'm on board. 
<laughs> right? <laughs> Slowly but surely, one at a time, they were able to pull everybody across that line to agree to, to the whole thing. And part of the deal was that um, anything that was currently in the possession of either Archon or that has ever at any point in time belonged to a member of the party would be returned to them. Because, like, the the brother had given up, a, as a show of good faith, had given up a, a family heirloom to Archon, uh, you know, and, and so there were some other things like that. And so that, you know, so that was returned. And then the character who grew up in El Terrell, you know, some some childhood things that were stolen by some devils in El Terrell during the assault of the city had, had some random things returned. Uh, and then the two twins are like, yeah, but like, we haven't had anything taken and we, we're not from here. What, you know, we don't, our home isn't here or whatever. And then suddenly things are returned to them as well. It's like, what is this? I'm like, well, you're Shatter Kai. One of your previous lives came to Avernus and was killed by Bell <laughs> and he has your stuff, you know? Um, so it was a nice little way to, to give everybody a little bit of a, of a token reward or whatever. Um, so you no, know, that went really well, and now they've decided to go back into the uh, crypt of the Hellriders to try to free all the Hellrider souls that are trapped in there. There's a there's a whole method of doing so, and they're very close to doing it. So, so no, we've had fun. I, I had questions I was going to ask too, but but boy howdy, we've talked for uh, like an hour and fifteen minutes, and about half an hour of that was me. So uh, so we're having a good time. The descent to Avernus is going really well. Um, I do kind of feel like we're wrapping towards the end, and I'm starting to. I, I'm starting to do that thing I do as a DM when, when I feel like we're in the, like the final third of a campaign and I kind of know where it's going and I'm pretty sure how it's going to end uh, as I start thinking about what the next campaign is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, and I, I honestly, I like have three or four ideas and I have no idea what it's going to be. I kind of want to approach the party of saying, look, here's a menu. What do you want to play? What are what what's what are your ideas? Where you, well, where, the original thought was that we would do uh, Wild Beyond Witchlight next because I bought the the platinum edition from Beetle and Grimm for that and I'll yeah. get use out of it, right? But now I've been playing with this thing with the with the kids of doing this sort of uh, Vidari anthology mm-hmm. adventures sort of uh, mix up and and do it more homebrew, but but leaning on all these adventures that I have in, in my library to to pull from, so I'm not having to create everything from scratch. Um, so I'm thinking about that. I'm, I'm always kind of thinking about running like the Spelljammer game. Planescape's coming up soon, and I like Planescape. Um, the the yeah. new uh, Fandelver book just came out, and and it's full of mind flayers, which I've always wanted to run a mind flayer. I've always wanted to write a mind flayer campaign, but but running one would be the next best thing. You know, I've got all I've got some ideas, um, and there may be some other ones, but. You know, so I kind of want to approach the party at this time and, and the players at this time and say, hey, so here's some things. Here's kind of the themes of each one. What are you into? Because, because yeah, the, like some of my players for this campaign, like they created their characters. They had ideas and they were just had an, a, a real itch to play these characters. Probably a year, year and a half before we started the campaign, which means they had no idea where the where it was set, what the themes were. So we've made them work, and they, and they work well in the campaign, but they weren't built for this story. So right. Mm-hmm. But if but if we all start from scratch and say like I don't know what we're running either, what do you want to play? Then maybe we can all sort of build that way. So anyway, I've talked so Be much. Be careful with that though. 
So yeah. <laughs> um, I kind of did the same thing with my kids' game. Um, I had like, what was I going to run? I can't remember, but I was like, okay, we're going to run this ad- adventure. And then I was like, well, wait a second. I have all of these other adventures. Let me just ask them. And uh, they ended up picking Tomb of Annihilation. <laughs> and like, I was just like, oh my gosh. So we just started that. Um, yeah, no, I wasn't planning to be like, here's everything I own. What do you want to do? Yeah. It was going to be more of a like, here's four or five seeds of an idea for a larger campaign. Uh-huh. Gotcha. Not like, not like yeah. what adventure do you want to run? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I give like 10 choices or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 Tomb of Annihilation is great. I ran it. It's wonderful. I loved it. It was, it's right, it's right up my alley, just my style. Cause it has that whole hex crawl element and, I don't mind dungeon crawl, you know, stuff and, and I house rule so that, you know, it's a little bit more old school. So there's a lot more tension and, and whatnot. So yeah, I had a blast with that campaign. Nice. So, yeah, no, yeah. I have nothing. I have very few problems with Tomb of Annihilation other than yeah. it's really two adventures that don't blend well together. <laughs> so. See, you say that, but then, then I, Yes, that's kind of true, but then it's then it's also then you look at something like Rime of the Frost Maiden, which really is that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, Tomb actually wasn't that bad. Yeah, so, <laughs> in so, that so, respect. So here's what I did. Uh the Death Trap Dungeon of Tomb of Annihilation became part of my campaign and the city uh, Yithrin in Rime of the Frost Maiden mm-hmm. beca- became yeah. part of my campaign. Uh yeah. and, and I didn't yeah. do the whole actual story as right. they existed. Yeah, so. yeah. 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 So, anyway. My only problem with Tomb of Annihilation was that they the death curse timeline doesn't make sense if they learn it on the first day of the first session and then they're supposed to go hex crawl for 60 yep. days or whatever to find a lost city like that yeah. so you change those, that those are my otherwise. two those are my two yeah. overarching critiques of that adventure is, yeah. is there's two parts that don't really blend well together and the yeah. the we're going to put you on a ticking time bomb and then expect mm-hmm. you to just sort of explore and have fun like right. yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah all right we are anyway. uh we are well i don't know about you i am tired uh and we've been talking a long time (laughs) and my mouth is dry and if i hurry up i can actually put my youngest to bed before uh bedtime so all right that sounds good i think this is a place to stop uh i want to thank everybody for listening i hope you've enjoyed this episode of behind the dm screen with with uh guest dm uh robert aducci uh, so thank you for joining us, Robert. Um, Thanks, we don't normally do the whole where can people find you thing, but but since you're a guest, if people want to hang out with Robert Aducci, where can they go? Um, you can go to athis.org. You can find me. I'm usually Radu or Radu76, wherever. Um, and if you like podcasts, check out my Dark Sun podcast, um, Bone, Stone, and Obsidian, there you go. which is also at athis.org. Uh, is Bone, Stone, and Obsidian still on the feed for, what was it, Misdirected Mark? Uh, no, not anymore. It's got to so go. they, yeah, they kind of changed some stuff, and we were actually talking about moving anyways, and so we moved to uh, to our Perfect. website. And Perfect. Great. Awesome. awesome. Excellent. All, all right. right. Well, we're gonna go ahead and wrap up here. So uh, yeah, I hope you all had fun and say goodbye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. <laughs>